Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. I'm so excited once again. I have an amazing person on today. Her name's Tiffany Prano. Welcome. Hi, thanks. Yes, I'm excited for you guys to hear her story. She's an amazing person, and uh, you guys are going to love this. Um, I do need to uh, recognize our sponsor, Rasty Networks. I want to thank them for their... Uh, support. And I also want to thank everyone who's listening and downloading these and sharing them. I'm getting such amazing responses and I hope that'll continue, but I can't thank you guys enough for making this what it is. And so Tiffany, thank you for taking the time today. I'm excited. Yeah. So I've known Tiffany for a while now. Uh, We both work together at Wasatch Recovery. Um, She's a therapist there and she's, she's also, she's a licensed clinical social worker uh, she graduated uh, her undergraduate degree in um, health promotion and education at the University of Utah, and then she went and got a master's at uh, the University of Southern California, USC, which is really cool, I think. And she has two beautiful daughters. They're involved in dance, and I know you you, you did dance growing up, uh-huh. and you're on the drill team and all that fun <laughs> stuff, but her daughters are beautiful, and Tiffany's just such a great uh, individual, and I'm grateful to rub shoulders with her at work and she's agreed to come share her amazing story of overcoming addiction and how she's got to where she is today yeah. so yeah so welcome thank you you're welcome so why don't you l- let our listeners know a little background on you like kind of where you grew up and about your family and okay let's do that yeah I grew up in Utah I was born in Utah and um, I grew up in South Jordan I have like, two parents that are still married and a little little sister and um yeah, right. just Utah born and raised. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then as, as a young age, I'm assuming kind of like with your girls, they're, you're involved in dance and uh-huh. things like that. Yep. Yeah. I did dance and drill team in high school and was a pretty straight shooter. I was right. very, um, <laughs> I followed all the rules. And did you? Yeah. yeah. Very, very good little girl. <laughs> so, um, let's talk a little bit about, because I know there's a lot of, uh, families out there who have girls in dance and uh-huh. talk about that just a little bit. I know that um, we don't really talk about like this on there, but how did that help you growing up with like confidence and things like that? Yeah, definitely helped me with confidence, um, determination, um, sticking with a schedule. Um, my daughter actually is just starting right now and she's starting yeah. to learn how to make new friends and how to right. be independent and be confident and have self-esteem and all of those things, I think they're great to keep kids involved in that kind of stuff just because it keeps them keeps yeah. them determined and keeps yeah. teaches them how to accomplish things in life. And so, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny too because, you know, my girls did drill. They work harder than any yeah. sport I've ever, yeah. I mean, harder than the football players, the basketball players, you name it. They are working every morning, every night. And it's such a commitment. Yeah. It's a commitment. You're up at 5am and running miles around the track and, (laughs) you know, practice and dance and doing all these performances. It keeps you very busy, huge commitment, but you really learn determination. That's like the biggest thing that I would say determination and self-discipline are the biggest things that from dance, but more so from drill in high school that, and that, that you learn. Yeah. Well, it's cool to see your girls are getting involved in that yeah. at a young age and because you know the benefits from it. And, yeah. You know, and, and I look at my girls, I'm glad they went through that because it taught them all those things you're talking about. And I mean, that that's priceless, right? Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. Yeah. Um, so talk about your experience growing up, you know, you as a, you know, a young girl and, 
Mm-hmm. You know, when did, you know, I know we're going to talk about how you overcome an addiction. Mm-hmm. Talk about when that came into play. Was that before or after high school? Or okay. That kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I grew up, like I said, in Utah. My parents were, um, before I was 12, they, they weren't LDS and they drank a lot and partied a lot. And um, I vaguely remember those days just kind of being around it or whatever. But then we moved and when I was 12, we got sealed in the temple. And so okay. from 12 on, I was raised LDS. Gotcha. And so um, real quick, so growing up, up until 12, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of drinking around. It probably mm-hmm. just felt normal. Yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. this, this is what we do. It's just and, normal. Yeah. My parents were never crazy drunk or anything like right. that. I just remember like pretend going camping and then being around the fire and everyone drinking and having fun while I was playing night games. So right. yeah. It wasn't anything like I didn't learn any of that from my parents, but it's just I say that because it's interesting because of the drastic change between I was like 12, you know, up until I was 12 and the life that we led. And then after I was 12 and what that was like growing up becoming LDS and what that meant for me and what that meant for my family. And all of a sudden you're now going to church. Yeah, we're going to church. Um, One of the scariest things, I had a friend that says that because I wasn't going to church, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to see my family after I died. And I was very impressionable when I was, this is right when we were, I was 12 and I actually went back to my parents and I was like, we have to go to church. We have to go to church. (laughs) That's a scary thing though as a kid. It scared me as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the reasons why my parents started going to church and Mm because of that day, because I was so terrified of um, just a friend and when her telling me that. So, so yeah, um, I was, you know, good and, and everything. I did drill. I was committed. Um, then I went to college and I was dancing in college as well. And, um, I had a boyfriend who did drugs and who drank a lot. And so, okay. Um, I was at my parents' house one day and my dad, when I was younger, this is just a side note, he dove into a pool and broke his neck and was paralyzed, um, for like three days or something. Um, and then he woke up and started being able to move his toes. And so he's a total miracle. Yeah. It sounds like that. That's a scary time. He had a halo like drilled into his head and just, this is when I was really little. Yeah. But, um, because of that, he had a lot of pain medication still just like our cupboard was like full and I had no idea. And so I had this boyfriend who came in and showed me what liquid hydrocodone was. And I remember that was the very first time I had tried anything Mm. and we drank the bottle and went outside and like looked at the stars. And I remember being like, this is awesome. (laughs) This feels good. Yeah. You know? And from that point forward, I just tried some, tried some, tried some. And I gradually moved up to the point where I was doing Oxycontin's. All right. And, and still still with the same boyfriend. Yep. And yep. doing that with him, uh-huh. obviously. Yeah. So we were driving to Vegas and getting oxys and driving back and he moved to St. George and I was driving up to St. George every weekend. It just not being safe, just right. reckless. And my parents didn't know what to do with me. They they were so scared and I just was so pushing did, them did away. Did they know at the time that you were abusing not not for a while. It wasn't until I would say a year down the road where they started. So a year later like, they started noticing, noticing something's off with you and Yeah. Right. Something was off with me and then the thing that's the thing that like pushed them over the edge was um they were doing dishes or something and he was my boyfriend was shooting this stuff up and i was not but he was and my mom found a spoon that had like residue on it and she was like came to me in my room with this and i just froze and she's she knew what it was right and i thought she was dumb and she had no idea but she knew what it was and so 
um, they kind of freaked out and yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, he ended up overdosing and um, almost dying. And so at that point, my parents held me close and they were like, you're staying home. We don't, you know, he's in the hospital for three days. They told him he was going to be vegetable, everything. So my parents kind of made me stay home and I had to detox at home off of Oxycontin by myself. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just, right. I didn't know. My parents didn't know. I didn't know. I just kind of stayed in bed for a few days and I detoxed off of them and was able to stop. And so I got clean off of Oxycontin and I didn't really drink that much. I started going to the U and, right. um, and so that was kind of my first battle with addiction. First battle was, with yeah. It. Did you end up staying after the, after your boyfriend at that time overdosed, did you end up still dating him afterwards? No. Or is that when you kind of, with obviously the push maybe from your parents, Hey, you need mm-hmm. to stay away because it's not, it's toxic yeah. and it's not safe. Yeah. We tried a few times. Um, my parents like restricted and they're like, no, you cannot. And so I kind of rebelled against that and pushed against it and tried to stay with him. Yeah. But I ultimately grew out of that because I wasn't in that life anymore. And I ultimately had to say no. And he threatened to kill himself and all because he was still in it. And, and I was able to see like the unhealthiness that was going on there mm. as I started to get healthy. And so, no, we didn't stay together. I just. Yeah. You hear that a lot with uh, situations like that where if the the relationship's going to end and the, the, the person who doesn't want it to end will threaten, you mm-hmm. know, I'm going to take my life. And yes, you have to take it serious, but at the same time, it's almost their way to manipulate you to stay in the relationship, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, had I not been so impressionable, I probably would have because we loved each other or whatever. But yeah. for some reason, I I'd grown out of it enough to see that it was really unhealthy i was able to recognize that which still kind of surprises me just because i was so heavily involved in it and so blinded by just this whole life that i was living so it's kind of a bless not kind of it's a blessing that i was able to pull through that or else i would be shooting heroin right now like he is right yeah i never got to that heroin point yeah luckily right yeah um so let's go back a little bit when you said so you started dating this guy did you know when you first started dating him that he was doing drugs and drinking that he did you know that that was what his lifestyle was like I knew that he because when I started dating he wasn't doing drugs yet we kind of started doing drugs meaning pain pills and we would do cocaine but like at first I knew that he would drink and I knew his family was a really big partier, but okay. I had this idea like, oh, I'm, you know, I'll bring him to church and <laughs> yeah. I'll, you know, yeah. I'll help him, you know, that kind of a thing. So yeah, I was aware of it. Yeah. So, um, what, what do you think, you know, cause we, you and I, we talk with our clients all the, all day long about belief systems and mm-hmm. how that affects our behavior and determines what we do a lot of times, yeah. if not every time. What what were some of those beliefs you had about you? Because you you said you were almost kind of like you were just this believing person, and you just innocent and mm-hmm. kind of went along with everything. Yeah. What what were the some of the belief systems you think that you were wrestling with at that time? So um, one of the things I've thought about this a lot, and um, one of the things with growing up the way that I did is I learned at an early age when we started going to church and stuff. I learned that. My parents would lie to me a lot. They would make up stories and just kind of odd stuff. But I learned that if nobody was looking or if nobody knew about something, then uh-huh. it wasn't happening. Okay. And I have this memory of going to the grocery store on Sunday and coming back 
and my dad closing the garage and I was like scooting between the garage and my car unloading groceries and it was like nobody could see that we went to we went to the grocery store oh, on Sunday. Gotcha. And so I grew up this belief, like no integrity, even though I was in this like sheltered kind of life, like no real true integrity. And so honestly, being as impressionable as I was in 16 years old, nobody knew that I was doing this, mm. taking my dad's medication or drinking at the time. Nobody knew. And it was almost like it was okay. I honestly yeah. look at that and I believe like it was okay. Nobody knew that no I was knows. doing it. It wasn't a big deal. Interesting. And that belief system followed me all the way up through the second part of my addiction. And I'll, tell, I'll talk about yeah. that. But um, that's one of the things that, yeah, comes to mind when you ask that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of our clients will kind of would have... You know, hey, if no one can see it, I'm, yeah. I'm okay. Uh-huh. No one knows. I'm, and I think that's the 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 justification we'll use for the behavior, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, and I can relate with that because I've done that as well, and um, back in the day, especially. But uh, that's interesting that, that that's what you kind of formed from that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. It it was a big part of my addiction, and then it was a big part as I, I got back into it, and. There's a moment that I'll tell you about where that changes in my life. And I realize that that's no longer my belief system. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait to get to that. So, so, you know, your ex-boyfriend, he, he overdoses, you, you try to stay with him a little bit, but eventually you start to see how bad and toxic this Mm -hmm. is and you move on. Mm -hmm. So let's go from there. Yeah. So I moved on. I went to college uh, or I went to the University of Utah. I coached drill at Cottonwood High School mm. for a few years. I started their drill team program, was doing really, really well. Yeah. And um, and then I met my husband and my ex-husband. Oops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, we know. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> um, so I met my ex-husband and um, within, we dated for, I don't know, three or four years. And then we got married five years later. And right. so... Um, it was that it was after, like after we got married, I started drinking a lot again. Okay. Um, with him, so, so it's kind of like I did the same thing with as I did with my yeah, prior boyfriend. Yeah, kind of the same pattern, yeah. right? I was doing really well, but like on my own and independent and living a great life. And then I met him, and started drinking again and that partying all the time, and that yeah. led one thing led to another too where it was a you big know, problem. And I know you work with a lot of uh, female clients who mm-hmm. kind of go through the same thing you did. Mm-hmm. What, let our listeners kind of know, like, what, is, what does that mean when you keep following the same pattern of, you know, relationship-wise? Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think um, it's just like a familiar, you know, you... I, at least for me, the first time that I went through my boyfriend, I had this idea that, like, I was good and I was mm-hmm. not better than, but, like... I could handle it and I could help this person if you want to say like this person is not doing or that maybe they're they're partying and I don't really agree with that and I'm going to help them to become a better person and um, that's how I felt with my ex-husband as well is like not that he was doing bad or he wasn't addicted or an alcoholic or anything like that but he lived a different life than I did and so it was almost like if we get together, like I, I can help him and we'll become better people together. Kind right. of a thing. We'll do this thing together. Yeah. And, um, that's not the case. 
Yeah, what what do we call that? Magical thinking yeah, sometimes. Magical like thinking. Well, I'm gonna somehow change this person. I'm gonna change this person, yeah. yeah. And can it happen? I guess it can. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, but it, ultimately it's the change comes from that individual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so you meet your uh your ex husband uh-huh. and did you know at that time too he was a drinker? Yeah. Had you had already started drinking before you met him or did it kind of start as you dated it him? It started as I dated him. Okay. Yeah. And he is um quite a bit older than me actually okay and um our life was very lavish we traveled a lot we went on cruises we you know we got engaged at the top of the palms hotel in las vegas oh really all right so you got engaged at the the palms yeah top of the palms hotel and i just say that because it was just everything was like exaggerated you know, um, my parents didn't, this is another pattern that I fell into. My parents didn't want me to date my boyfriend. When I was 16. They didn't want me to date this guy cause he was a lot older than I was. And so we kept it a secret for a while again. And I would fly to Los Angeles and you know, we would party and like, yeah. it was like almost the exact same situation again. And I fell in love with him, but also this life. Like it, um, none of my friends were doing the stuff that I was doing. Like this doing. lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was drinking and stuff, but it was like the, in my eyes, like the glorious part of drinking. Like <laughs> yeah. as bad as that sounds, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. a lifestyle that we led that was fun. If I if I'm being honest, it no, was that's fun. yeah, no, thank you, so, yeah. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think a lot of people that would, would understand it's easy to get caught up into that, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. It's like, man, look what I'm doing. Yeah, I get exactly. to do all this fun stuff. Yeah. So um, I lived that life, and I, I rebelled, if you will. I was 25 years old, but mm-hmm. my parents didn't want me to marry him, and at some point I was going to. I loved him, and he loved mm-hmm. me, and so sure. um, they they kind of joined on, and, and we got married, and had a great relationship and every, you know, my parents started at 11. I ended up having kids with them. Um, so it ended up being okay. But at first it was like really scary for my parents because they were like, she's dating this older guy. She's now going back to drinking and all that stuff. Yeah. And my drinking never was a problem until later on. Like it was just drinking and we would go boating and we would do all that kind of stuff yeah so at at, at the beginning it wasn't necessarily a huge problem for Mm -hmm. you so you get married you're having kids and Mm -hmm. you know things seem to be going in a good direction so let's go from there yeah so i have my first baby and i get really really bad postpartum depression Mm. and um i started drinking really bad then and to cover up with that depression and well, as I got out of the depression and got better, I stopped, like the drinking wasn't as bad. And I actually was making efforts to not drink at all. I okay. didn't, wasn't very successful at it, but I would, like if we were gonna go partying or like I, I was the one that was like, no, I can't do that. Cause my drinking got to a point where I was scared when oh, I really? was so depressed. Okay. And then I had my second baby, my second little girl, and the depression was probably two times as bad. And, um, a month after I had her, I had to go to uni because it was so bad. It was um, postpartum depression with psychotic features is what they called it. Really? And um, I had to go up to uni for five days and get on some medicine and just stop me from drinking because my husband my, found me in my bed with a bottle of whiskey in my hand. I, and I was just... Wow. Yeah. Well, let's explain uni for our listeners because oh, yeah, a lot sorry. of people went, no, it's okay. Explain what that is. Yeah. Uni is um, University Neuro 
what is it called? Neuroscience or Neuro something. something. It's a, it's a psych <laughs> <Institute>. hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a psych hospital where people go. They can go there to detox um, from from drugs, right. but it's also a mental health um, yeah. neuropsychiatric unit is what it's called. There we go. And so it, there's from people who are having like psychotic breaks, there's that level, there's different floors, and then there's people who are detoxing, and then there's people with mental health problems. And so mine was combined with detoxing off of alcohol and then my mental health um, right, okay. aspect of it where I got on some medication management and they kind of got me clean and got me stable and then started a medicine regime for me. Um, and so, yeah. So when you were up there for your five days, which mm -hmm. is actually kind of a long time, mm -hmm. it probably felt like, right? Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind if you can think back at so that time? So my biggest thing at that time was I was totally playing the victim in that mm -hmm. um, I, well, and I don't know if it's victim really because it was true, but I had a one-month-old baby at home and I was really upset that I was there and I kept saying, you know, how do you separate a mother from her one-month-old one baby? You know, right. I wasn't able to really focus on anything. I was just so concerned that I wasn't. About that. Yeah. Sure. You know, um, I was breastfeeding her and I had to stop doing that when I went up there. And it just, that was devastating to me. So that yeah. was really all I thought about when I was there. Yeah. And I think any mother listening to this would agree like mm -hmm. how hard that would be. Yeah. Right? Even though it's five days, it did seem like forever. And we had to break that bond. I mean, she was one month old and I... I I knew I had to go. I knew I had to go. I knew I wasn't well. Yeah. I knew that, you know, I would get up and I would take care of her and then um, I would just go to bed. I couldn't even, I didn't even want to get out of bed. I had to have my mother-in-law come and like help me take care of the baby because I just was so, so, so depressed. Couldn't even function. It I couldn't like, function, yeah. no. I couldn't function. Wow. So you go to the uni for five days mm -hmm. and then you come back home. I come back Talk home. Talk about that. Yeah. Came back home and um, didn't do any better. Within a month, I was back up at uni. Mm. Um, and this time was mainly more just for drinking. Just kept drinking. So kept drinking. Kept drinking. Kept mm. drinking. And at that time, my marriage was falling apart. So the second time I went up to uni, we were talking about getting divorced. And along, this, along the way, and I don't like talking about this, but he actually cheated on me when I was pregnant. And so that didn't help this situation at all so I was pregnant having babies and that changes your body and my self-esteem yeah. and all of it so there's a lot of factors yeah. Yeah. yeah was this after your second child yeah okay. so when I was pregnant with my second child it was that happened. oh sorry yeah, yeah. Okay. so the whole loss of self-esteem and all of that came along with having a baby came along with the changes that your body goes through it came along with the fact that I was drinking came along with the fact that I couldn't function and I was depressed like it was this big whirlwind wow. of hardship I mean, that is a lot to deal with, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, you, even the way you're describing, I mean, anyone under that kind of, uh, I guess, situation mm -hmm. would feel exactly what you were feeling, probably to the point where you felt hopeless. I did, yeah. You know? Yeah, I did. And that's why I had to go back to uni. I wasn't ever suicidal, but I just was hopeless. And right. I was like, you know, I felt worthless. I felt hopeless. I felt like I was never going to be able to stop drinking because my life was just in shambles and so yeah that's when it got seriously out of control and I was really scared I was really scared so I got out of uni for the second time we're going through a divorce and I actually end up getting a DUI so mm. um, that was a big change for me and after my DUI is when I went to treatment for the first time 
Okay. So. So you get a DUI. Is that the first time you had a run-in with the law when it came yeah. to your drinking? And no, actually, that's not true. Um, we got we had a big fight. This was actually right after I got out of uni. We had a big fight, and I was drinking a lot. And I had my little baby, and then my three-year-old, and um, we get into a big fight. And the, I called the police because we're things aren't going well. Right. And um, the police came and they had to separate us and we got in some big trouble and some charges with like domestic. There was no violence going on, but just the fact that we were fighting the way that we were in front, in front of, of kids. Children. Yeah. So that was my yeah. first run in with the law, if you will. And then, yeah, I got my DUI. And so that was the second time that like now things are getting really bad. I'm drinking and driving and getting caught and getting arrested and you know, what in the hell is wrong with me? Yeah, so what was the story you were telling yourself going through all that? Uh, in looking back, it was being victim. I was the victim to these circumstances, but it was so true to me at the time. Like, I really felt like I was a victim of him and him cheating on me and, you know, the postpartum. Like, I really felt like I was a victim to certain things. Well, postpartum depression is real. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not something you were making up or mm -mm. so. I mean, you really were a victim to that actually in mm -hmm. that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe these other things, you know, but you started telling yourself that story, right? Yeah. But um, how did you, you know, so you get the DUI and mm -hmm. you now you're, you're, you understand you're going, going to get a divorce at this point mm -hmm. as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, you're dealing with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Dealing and I with knew none of this. This is wow. Yeah. So, you know, getting DUIs and, and all of that, I'm in the middle of getting a divorce and there's custody issues. And um, so I had to get better. I had to fix my situation because I wasn't going to lose my kids, you know. Right. And that was never really the case. Like he, he knew he had a part in the situation and right. he knew that I was facing, I was dealing with some postpartum and stuff. So he was never, he never threatened to take my children away or anything. But I knew myself. But if I didn't get better, I wasn't going to be the mom that I right. that I know I could be. So, yeah. in which you also were jeopardizing. You could lose them. Yeah. If, you, not, if, if I kept going if down, you kept that, going I down that road, yeah, right. I would have lost them for yeah. sure. And so I went to treatment for them. And when I was in treatment, everyone's like, "You have to do it for yourself," and I agree with that. But they were a huge motivating factor because I didn't have any self worth. I didn't have any yeah. self-worth. I so lost it. how could it. you find it in you? Yeah. I yeah. had to find that. It's called an external, internal locus of control. Meaning at that time, yeah. it was an external locus of control. That was what was motivating me to get better. Right. And I needed that because yeah. I had no self-worth or no yeah. self-esteem or anything at that point. Yeah. And I'm glad you point that out because I think that's very common when people first come into treatment. Mm -hmm. It's usually because something happened. They're getting mm -hmm. pushed from the law court ordered yep. family saying they put an ultimatum yep but we hope eventually it shifts to where well now it's i'm internal. actually doing this for me yeah internal like you said mm -hmm. so that's, i'm glad you pointed that out yeah so um i went to treatment i got out i had to go back to treatment for two weeks i got out <laughs> and I, I just kept it got better every time so you just kept relapsing as you would leave yeah. go back and, to treatment yep. and this okay. is all during the divorce and stuff so I would get a little bit better, but I would still be drinking and I'd have to go back. And um, there was a last, there was like a ultimatum last time at some point, my last time that I went to treatment. 
And um, tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. My family just was done with it. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have anywhere. He was living in the house and I couldn't live there and I didn't have a job and we were in the middle of it. So he wasn't paying me any money yet. And so I had to live with my parents Mm. and some two little girls and I'm in my parents' basement and super depressed and not functioning very well. And I remember there being a moment where I was downstairs. I could still see it. And I was like, this has to end. Like I have, I found some sort of motivation within myself. And I said, I have to do this. I have to do this. So, um, I went and I told my dad I needed to go to the hospital because I needed to detox again. And he took me there and he's like, Tiffany, this is the last time I'm doing this. And I believed him. Right. And I was, how did that feel hearing that? It was gut wrenching. I can still feel it now. Like I just knew he was serious. Yeah. And um, I detoxed and it was so bad that time. And I I said, I will never do this again. I will never do this again. And everyone has a moment, I feel. Everyone has a moment like that. I get chills when I talk about it because I had that moment. And I was, I will never do this again. It's when you knew it. Yeah. Yeah. You finally made that decision and it was, it came from within instead Mm -hmm. of from without. Yep. Right. Yep. Exactly. And it was a game changer. Yeah. So I went Love to it. treatment and I had that inside of me and I knew it and nobody believed me right. and, you know, going through sure. treatment as many times <laughs> no as I No one's going to believe you. No one believed me. Yeah. And, but I knew it inside and I knew that that was what was pushing me. And, um, I always picture this as like, I'm in a black tunnel and I had, it had been pitch black for three years Yeah. and I get into treatment this time and I like see a pinpoint of light somewhere i just see it because i know that i'm gonna do this differently this time and as i got through treatment the light got a little bit bigger and um after i completed treatment i went to sober living and it got a little bit better i but it was still pretty much dark because i didn't have i wasn't living with my kids you know um and then yeah and so then um I got a job at a, I had my master's degree already. So I forgot to say that I got it while I was So you already completed that So I already completed that. Okay. So I, you know, I'm living in sober living and I don't have a job and I get this job as a receptionist at a salon and I have to take the bus there because I lost my license and it's, so I'm taking public transportation and I'm going to the salon, I'm working and I'm it just was the interesting fact that I had my master's degree and I was working as a receptionist. It just yeah. shows kind of like where I was. I'm sure, like, yeah. I would I would take ever, anything to to start getting back on my feet. And um, I remember at a point I was doing inventory or whatever, and there had been times where I had like taken some shampoo and all, and it, I, this belief that like if nobody knows, it's not happening, kind of a thing. Right. And it hit me. <laughs> at one point and I was taking this stupid little bottle of shampoo and I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, really? I'm, yeah, I'm like that. I will never do that anymore. And that belief of like that when you're doing something, no, if it's nobody's looking, it's not happening. I gained integrity at that point. And I, that also was a life changer. Yeah. It's kind of like so a, many ways. Wow. That's amazing that you can actually still pinpoint that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm I'm stealing a small piece or a small bottle of shampoo. shampoo why? What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. And I and 
you know, it's so silly, but it, it was a life changer actually to actually have some integrity and it changed my outlook on life. It changed so many things about what I was doing. And that light at the end of the tunnel got a little bit bigger. Wow. That's amazing. I'm getting chills when yeah. you say that. Like, yeah. it's those moments. See, I, I, you know, I talk about this a lot with the clients, how change can happen in an instant. Mm-hmm. But there's all this stuff that leads up to that instant, mm-hmm. right? So you had all this stuff going on. You were working on yourself. You are in treatment, doing all these things mm-hmm. a little differently, maybe working a little harder. Mm-hmm. And then you have that moment with mm-hmm. the shampoo. Yeah. Wow. Little bottle of shampoo. Amazing. And I decided at that point I'm going to have some integrity. And that that spread into my life in all different areas. It spread into my life of the divorce and how honest and, you know, transparent I was being with that and owning my problems and owning the fact that I needed help and being integrous with my children and helping them through it. It just, it just like, what's the word? It just went into all aspects of my life and it made a huge difference at that point. And that light, like I said, got a little bit bigger. Wow. And so, um, are you going to ask something? No, no, oh, keep okay. going. Thank okay. Yeah, no, this is, I'm just over here going, wow. <laughs> I just, I really think that's amazing. Yeah. You know, um, well, I will say something. Okay. I'm sorry. You're good. That's okay. I love that you said this because, um, you know, there's this thing called Kairos moments. The Greeks have this saying, they call it the tap on the shoulder. Mm. Or in other words, they call it, it's a Kairos moment. Or in other words, it's a transformational moment in time. Mm. Like you called it a game changer, like yeah. life changing. Life changer, yeah. And, um, and I just want to point that out that I think we all have those moments, mm-hmm. but we have to do something about it when we have that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're going to get into in a minute here. But I just want to point that out that we all have them. Mm-hmm. And if you look back in your life, I had that moment and that moment and that led to this moment and over here. And, mm-hmm. and so. I just I just wanted to point that out that I think we all have those uh, transformational yeah. game changing moments. Mm-hmm. So. And that that was definitely one of them. Wow. So cool. Me putting that shampoo bottle back and saying I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore and I'm going to have integrity. Yeah. And being able to be transparent changed my ability to get sober. Because I was transparent. I wasn't keeping secrets anymore. I wasn't right. trying to cover stuff up. I wasn't trying to make myself look in a certain light for the, for my ex-husband or for my parents. Like I just was like, I need help. I need help. And this is what I need to do to get it. And so I got out of sober living and, um, where I went to sober living, it was life changing as well. It was just a really good program. I mm-hmm. went to Balance House, and they oh yeah yeah it's a really really good program. And yeah, they're great. Um, they they definitely taught me some stuff and um, just got me back on my feet with regard to like budgeting my money and like hold having accountability with UAs and that just the way that it worked is what I needed at the time. I needed some structure and I needed some guidance and I needed to be able to do that while also living a normal life. And so that combination was really helpful for me. So I got out of sober living and I went and I had to live in this basement apartment with my two kids and work at this salon and trying, I'm trying, trying to get on my feet. Right. And, um, like keeps getting a little bit bigger and I get a job at Wasatch as a line staff graveyard shift. Yeah. I remember that that was one of the first times I saw you Uh just in the hall here Uh and I'll be quite honest. You didn't seem very happy. No. When I first met you, mm-hmm. not that you were being mean or you just, I could just tell like, like you're saying, like the light was getting bigger, but mm-hmm. it wasn't fully there yet. Yeah. 
if that makes yeah. sense. I yeah. hope that's okay. That no, I you're fine. That. I wasn't. Yeah. I wore a hat a lot. Yeah, you I had my head down a lot. Yeah. I had this idea in my heart, though, that I knew what I wanted to do, and that was to help other people with struggling yeah. with addiction. And as I was learning how to do it myself, I had this idea that I was, I was going to give it back, and I was going to give it back. And starting working here was that turning point of me being able to give that back. And it was at the bottom of the barrel. I was cleaning toilets <laughs> here, but I had this determination that I was going to, yeah, that I was going to do big things with this. Yeah. And so even getting a job here, the light got a little bigger bigger. And then I got during the day and it got a little bit bigger. And along the way, um, you know, I started talking to them about being a therapist and, um, I remember the day they said, yeah, come to a clinical meeting with us and we'll yeah, start. I remember that actually yeah. when you, we actually talked about it behind the scenes and, yeah. and then you were at our clinical meeting. I was meeting in a clinical meeting and I was just grinning from ear to ear. Yeah. I was so excited. Yeah. You could tell that that was like a, another moment for you. Yeah. 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 So, I, you know, I go there, I get in the clinical meeting, I start learning and I start doing and meeting with clients and start learning how to do all this. And it just it just keeps getting bigger and I, and my my sobriety was on point like it was right. i was good at that time i had spent however many years working on getting sober and at yep. this point i'm sober and i'm holding down a good job and at that point i had gotten into my own apartment um yeah and i support myself and my kids by myself like he doesn't yeah. really help still right and so being able to support myself and my two girls and it's amazing you know compared to where i was in a basement with my parents apartment or my basement apartment like yeah. it was a big deal wow that's yeah. so cool you know and the listeners won't know this but like you know if, if it's okay for me to say this you know I've I watched you from the day you started till even to this very moment, mm -hmm. and if people knew you like right now and just saw how you conduct yourself and the, how you how you do a process group and how you just do your job and the way you raise your kids, they wouldn't have any clue. Like she was that person. Mm -hmm. You were the one that went to uni twice, got a DUI, you know, blew up your life, got a divorce, all this stuff. Yeah, they would know none of that. Yeah, like and really, I've, I I honestly can say this. I've been doing this a long time. The, the the transformation you made even as a therapist mm -hmm. from the time you started till now is pretty remarkable. That's awesome. It's been a big, big uh, um, eye-opener for me to see that in you. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I've seen the growth as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, it all came to a, a head just recently when I kind of had these mile markers in my life, like... Okay, I'm going to get out of sober living. Now I'm going to get my apartment. Now I'm going to get yeah. a job. And now I'm going to become a therapist. And then it was this last piece of getting licensed. Right. Fully licensed. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was so nervous to take this test. It was everything that I had done had kind of came up to this moment of if you want to do this, you you know, you pass this test and you're good. That light is full. You're in the light. You're out of this dark <laughs> tunnel is what right. I thought. Right. I remember coming to you and talking to you and we yeah. talked about visualization. Yeah. And you know, that belief that if you if you believe in yourself enough and you do the things to prepare yourself to get there, yeah. it will happen. Yeah. And you did prepare a lot. I mean, you were constantly studying, taking practice tests. Yep. In, I mean, I'm going to say this, like you even said I'm not dating at all. Yep. While I'm studying because I'm that dedicated, that focused on it. Yep. And it, that reminds me of what, when you go back to what you learned uh, uh, on the drill team uh -huh. to be committed 
yep. to something. And if you do, you get a result in mm-hmm. the way that you'd want it. And so I saw true. that in you so when true. you were studying for the test. Yeah, it's so right? true. Yep. That's so cool. Yeah. it's Those are the life skills that you learn. Yeah. For sure. So how it came back almost full circle. Full circle. Yep. You know, you had dedication and scheduling and getting up (laughs) earlier before work and and studying and yeah, Yeah. dating, which was nice, actually. (laughs) There's a lot of benefits of, right? You were seeing not just that, but no, that was kind of my excuse. No, I'm just kidding. But um, so I I was nervous and I talked to you and you like got me inspired and I was like, I am doing this. I am doing this. And. I went and I took it and I passed and I started bawling. I can get teared up talking about it right now, but I just started bawling in the testing center. I was like, I did it. I felt emotional for you. I was like so excited for you when you said, I passed. You sent that text out. And I'm like, yeah, I knew you would. Yeah. It's so cool. It was like, I did it. I did it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that leads up to now. And it's amazing. I get to, you know, all of that added up with everything involving like, my treatment and involving my um, experience with drink, all of it adds up to this point where I get to do what I love to do every day. And I get to pass that knowledge and that awareness and that everything on with combination of life experience and then education as well. It all comes together into this great situation that I'm in where I'm able to do what I love. Yeah. And if, if we really look at the timeline, I mean, it's a miracle. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that, we can throw that term out, just throw it out. Yeah, it's a miracle, but it really no, is. it really it is. It truly is. Mm-hmm. You know, even that moment where you had putting that shampoo bottle back, mm-hmm. I mean, that in itself, how that, I mean, imagine if you would have taken it, mm-hmm. what would have that led to mm-hmm. ultimately? Ultimately, yeah. Right? Could have led to, I mean, I could give you six different scenarios right now that wouldn't have led me here. You probably wouldn't be here because you would have justified that. You would have done it again somewhere else. You would have, you know. And then that leads to, it it really leads to this life that, of not having integrity. And that breeds a life of of addiction, I feel. for sure. You know, you can continue doing all these negative things to your life and to your body without really taking accountability for it when you don't have any integrity. Yeah. You don't have accountability for yourself. Yeah, that integrity piece is huge, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, okay, I want to, there's a couple more things I want to ask you. Uh, Your story is amazing. Um, Talk about real, just briefly, how important it is to to give back and help others because that's what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. How important is that in your, you know, your recovery? Uh, It's very important in my recovery because, I just, like I said, along the way in my recovery, I had this idea that I wanted to help other people because mm-hmm. I, my life was tr- changing so dramatically because mm-hmm. of the people that were helping me in my life, my therapists, right. my sober living people, you know, the people that I learned to be part of my sober support network, like they were all helping me right. change my life so dramatically. And being able, I had this goal, like, Hey, I learned this. I'm going to be able to go back and I'm going to be able to help somebody get through this, get through a divorce, get through going to sober living, helping somebody see the benefits of going to sober living, like everything, like being able to pass that information along to somebody. It's so, it's so rewarding. It just, it is, it's rewarding. And, and I can see, like I can pass along that and help change somebody else's life. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, 
like we say all the time to our clients, life happens for you. Uh-huh. You're in a position to help now because of what you've been through. Yep. So it was all for your yep. benefit. Exactly. Ultimately, right? Yep. And that's the other belief system is life. It did it all it, as it was hard to see that in the middle of it right. all. It's you tough know, when you're going through it. When you're right? going through it. But if you start believing that and yeah. it, and then even when you look back, it's like, yeah, I had to go through all of that yeah. in order to get to this great place where I am in my life right now. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, again, I call this a belief cast for mm-hmm. a reason because I, I'm just fascinated by beliefs and how, how powerful they are, good or bad in our lives. And it's great to see how you've shifted these beliefs into what you believe now and mm-hmm. how your behavior mirrors it. And it's mm-hmm. it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Well, I believe that I could along the way. Like yeah. nobody would have known it. I just knew in <laughs> myself, like that yeah. little teeny piece of hope got, you know, and it yeah. was totally believing that I could do it. So Awesome. Well, if you, if there's some people listening now who are struggling whether it's with postpartum depression mm-hmm. or addiction or just trying to find their way or they're going through a divorce or mm-hmm. I know that's a, I'm asking a lot here but no, what yeah. what what advice could you give these people right now that maybe feel like they they don't see that pinpoint of light at the end of their tunnel mm-hmm. right now find it find it somewhere find that look look at your life and find that pinpoint of life somewhere. It'll be there. You just have to look for it. And it might just be something so simple, like being able to get out of bed in the morning and get ready. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it could be something as simple as that. If you're yeah. deep in the d- trenches, being able to get up and get dressed and brush your teeth, if that's all you can do that day, yeah. let that be that pinpoint of light. Yeah. Would be my okay. would be my kind of word of, word of advice. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, I know you had a few of those along the way. One of them mm-hmm. is, you know, your girls. You were thinking, mm-hmm. I'm coming to treatment for them, yep. you know, and that was your pinpoint of light, if mm-hmm. it, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's great advice, you know. And I would also add, if you are struggling, reach out to someone, talk to someone. If you're feeling depressed and down, obviously you did because your family Get obviously yeah. you know, helped you out along the way. Yeah. I was in a place where I needed, I needed help and I needed people to help me get the help that I needed. Right. And so relying on people that love you and care for you, like giving into the process, we call it surrendering, surrender in and let people who love you help you. And you might not like how they do it or the way that they do it, but (laughs) accept that help. Um, That's been a big thing with me being a single mom is accepting help. Right. Being married and having my own house and paying my own bills and doing all this stuff as I was married to place where I don't really, I'm not able to do that. I had to accept a lot of help from my family in order to be able to support me and my girls. And so that's another example of like, let people help you. Gotcha. Love it. Very cool. Um, if, uh, if you could uh, give us a challenge, give our listeners a challenge, something they could do to better themselves right now or change their perspective on things. This is still, I, it's pretty simple. Um, but it's something that I started doing a long time ago, and it's just the gratitude list. I would yeah. challenge you okay. to live a life of gratitude, and whether that be you write five things down that you're grateful for every day, or you live a life where you're looking for things to be grateful for, and that changes your entire perspective and outlook on life. Right. And like, for example, the other day I was heating up my food in a microwave, and I was like, <laughs> this is this is convenient, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is pretty cool. And it's so yeah. silly, but I was like, I'm really grateful for this microwave. Yeah. Just like, 
it changes the way that you think when you're yeah. looking for things to be grateful for. Love it. So I would just challenge okay. you to to identify five things, whether you write them down or you just keep a little mental note in your and just say, I'm so grateful for this person or the situation or this microwave or whatever it is. All right. Great advice. I love it. Gratitude. Mm-hmm. Well, I am grateful for you, Tiffany. I'm Thank grateful you. that I get to work with you. I'm grateful that you shared your story with me and with everyone who's going to be hearing this. So I can't thank you enough. If someone wants to reach out to you and ask you mm-hmm. a question or, you know, get some advice from you, what would be the best way for them to do that? You can email me at Tiffany, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y dot Wasatch at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Instagram. It's at T-Pran, T-P-R-A-N-N. Those would be two ways okay, great. to get a hold of me if you would okay. like to. So. Well, there you go, listeners. Reach out to Tiffany. Ask her any questions you might uh, want more information on. And, love and she's help. She loves to help. Yeah. yeah. She loves to give back, and that's why she's doing so well. Yep. So there you go, man. Another amazing belief cast. And uh, Tiffany, thank you for taking the time to do this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Todd. You bet. Listeners, there you go. Uh, Another great one. Go take this information and go make your life amazing. Remember, believe that you have it and you have it. It's, It's so simple but yet so true and can't thank you enough. Till next time.